Welcome to Zenergy, the interactive podcast providing resources for building a better life. I am Zen Ashe. I am your coach, your cut catalyst, and your conduit to that better life. A coach draws out hidden potential in a subject. A catalyst sparks change and a conduit provides a connection. And so today I'm connecting you to Richard Blank, uh, who is a CEO, and he has all kinds of background in communication, which is what we're actually going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about navigating conflicts in communication. And I cannot think of um, a, a timelier message, you know, because it seems like on a daily basis, we see people getting themselves in trouble with communication. We see conflicts between family members, between board members, between celebrities, you know, all kinds of different conflicts in communication. And even in the school system, you know, a big buzzword is, is uh, kind of negotiation or um, de-escalation. And we even hear about that in the police system. So there's so many different areas where we can have um, conflicts in communication. And so I'm glad that we can kind of talk about this and I can get some of his insights from his many years of experience. So I wanted to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. And I'm so happy to be here today with you and your audience. Well, thank you for, for having us. And you are my first guest from, from Costa Rica. So that's um, exciting. Um, I always love when I get, you know, international guests. So, you know, I keep expanding my, my, my base of subscribers into different areas. So that's really super exciting. So um, I guess I wanted to start with the question of what does communication mean to you? I believe that communication is an action and a reaction. It's very much like physics. So as much as you believe that your message and delivery may be appropriate, it might not be received or you know, responded in a certain way. Uh, it could be with someone that, as you mentioned, a family member you've known your whole life, or it could be with somebody you just met for the first time. And so what I like to do is I, I sometimes focus on a little bit deeper than just what the words are. I sometimes analyze certain sounds and certain mannerisms. And even if it's face to face, I can analyze certain micro expression readings that might be able to assist me to understand the certain level of temperament or importance that this topic may have with those with whom I'm speaking. Oh, that's I loved your definition. And it, it reminds me um, there was a TV show. There was an expert. I can't remember his name, but he he studied micro expressions and they would film people and sometimes they would slow down the film and he would say, see that right there, that's contempt. See that right there, that's rage. And he was talking about how no matter what language people spoke, that there were universal expressions. Mm -hmm. um, and another thing I remember hearing uh, some point in my childhood was that like communication is like 10% of what you say and like 90% of how you say it, your tone of voice and your body language. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I always thought that that was very interesting because a lot of us don't think about that as much, you know, um, you know, are you, are you, is your body language in line with what you're saying or are you being aggressive and then saying nice things, you know? Um, so it's kind of a interesting interesting idea to think about that communication is all of that wrapped up in one. Mm -hmm. um, so what do you think makes communication effective? 
on so many different levels, but let me circle back for a second. I think the show you were mentioning was Lie to Me. And it might it was, have been. Uh -huh, and a very good been. friend of mine from high school, my class, Micah Houtman, was actually an actor on that show multiple times. So very proud ah, of him as well. That but sounds yeah, like it. I think that might have been the show. And the beauty of it is you're talking about phonetic microexpression reading face to face. You're learning about body language, spacing, touch, aesthetics, things like that. You and I, my friend, can even discuss today phonetic microexpression reading where we can gauge people with sight unseen, where you don't have the luxury of sight. You have to only gauge them, as you were mentioning, in regards to their tone, rate, pitch, and duration. But importance of communication to me, I, I see things moving Zen in a certain way where it's non-voice. It could still be effective and still be very powerful, the written word, sometimes a letter you treasure forever and read it a thousand times but also it could be misinterpreted. And so today a lot of companies are preferring just to do chat or email support and, and that is okay. It depends on their scalability and attention to their clients. But when I speak with somebody, there's a very good chance to retain a client or a friendship, to be able to upsell them or change their mind to go to the movies on Wednesday instead of Thursday. You might be able to get a referral out of them. So if you meet and speak with somebody, you might get introduced to other people. In worst case scenario, you might get an exit interview on why someone could make suggestions on what you could have done to make a better uh, delivery, a better message, and what the other person had done to convince them or make them feel more comfortable to accept that message and that delivery. And so communication should never be limited. It should be open to any forms of communication. And you could be catching somebody on their best day. Mm. And then also like police officers and firemen and even attorneys, you're catching someone on their worst day. Mm. And this could be someone that is very spiritual and all of a sudden is cursing. And then you have someone that curses like crazy and all of a sudden doesn't talk at all. Mm -hmm. So how could you gauge that individual? So wow. you yeah. always try to once again, show empathy, be open-minded and as much as you can, Put yourself in that individual's shoes, even if you disagree a thousand percent, possibly to understand their point of view. You gave some great points to put yourself in that person's shoes to realize this may not this one conversation may not be representative of who they are as a person. Um, and they may be on their best day or their worst day. Um, you know, so there were so many ideas I was having as you were talking. And I was thinking about when you were talking about email and chat. Um, I don't like texting. I will tell anybody I don't like texting because you can't always tell the tone in which something is said. Correct. Something can sound very harsh and it was meant as a joke or it wasn't meant, you know, the person actually meant to say more, but they ran out of time, you know, because they were doing texting in the middle of something else and got distracted or whatever. Or even sometimes we know that autocorrect can change our messages. <laughs> on the phone. So, you know, I, I much rather talk to a person, um, than, than text cause it can be misinterpreted. Um, and also there's levels of language, you know, formality, you know, you can be very informal, you can be more formal. And then as a writer and as a teacher, you know, I teach my students about nuances, connotations. Mm. You could have words that are very similar, like cheap and inexpensive. They mean the same thing in the dictionary but they do not mean the same thing in conversation and in, in writing because one connotes 
of low value, of low quality, something that you don't want. Whereas the other, you know, connotes, oh, I got a great deal. You know, I'm happy about this. So it's it's great to be um, aware when you're communicating and try to be as clear as possible and as cognizant as possible of the message you're trying to get across. And then I think also to check, as you were saying, was that message received? You know, um, one of the things that I learned and in, in when I was trying to go through therapy was restating sometimes what people said. I, I, I think I heard you say this. Is that what you meant? You know, uh -huh. and then, oh, no, no, that's not what I meant at all. I meant, oh, I meant this. Oh, I see how you misinterpreted that because, oh, OK, I see how. OK, no, I meant this, you know, and then you can kind of again, navigate those conflicts that could have come up, but didn't come up because one, you didn't assume you asked a question and you got feedback and the feedback was able to, you know, move you towards understanding rather than move you towards conflict. So I think those are some really great things. I couldn't agree with you more. I always like for my clarification or for my edification, you're talking about falling on certain swords. And sometimes prior to even asking for that, I may ask if I may make a suggestion mm. and then I get the permission and then I'll say, hey, listen, straighten your tie, <laughs> you know, or something like that. Uh, diplomacy and strategy are essential. So I, I believe that a thesaurus is phenomenal. So you can look up similes so you can upgrade a certain word or if it just doesn't feel right, change it out. Words like help, you could just, you know, switch it out for assist, guide, or lend a hand. And these are just the little things to avoid any sort of ego defense or any sort of, you're mentioning conflicts. And if you know, or if you don't know your audience, you should realize that it could be a very delicate situation and anything could trigger a response. So once again, your vocabulary should be done accordingly. And also, if I may make a suggestion, the best form of rhetoric is listening because I might offer you the greatest lobster in the world, but you want a steak. So we can't keep talking about lobster. And so it's a great way of a two to a one where I'm constantly adjusting to you. And also we need checkpoints then because I just can't talk for 10 minutes. I got to get confirmation, sounds good, makes sense, possible clarifications. And so as long as it's a nice give and take, even if it's 60, 40, 70, 30, it doesn't matter, it, it could shift. But as long as there is a back and a forth and you're leading the conversation because that's the most important thing, chances are you'll get the favorable resolution from that. that all of that sounded great. I love the asking for permission. That was yes, that was a new one that I hadn't really thought about. I love that. I love that. I'm going to I'm going to have to use that because I love how you said, you know, if I may make a suggestion, I mm -hmm. love that. That was just so people, smooth. They talk about <laughs> constructive criticism, if you want to use it that way, but you're talking about message and delivery. Why don't we find areas of improvement? Let's focus on certain stages that could be completed. You don't need to throw it out black and white and, and, and uncomfortable. You, you can right. angle it a little bit and, and make it a little softer. It's mm -hmm. not a white lie, but as mm -hmm. I mentioned before, you could military speak somebody Mm -hmm. Or you could falling feather somebody. It really just depends on the sort of level of intensity that you'd like your message to be. So say that again. You can military speak somebody or you could fall and feather. If I'm speaking to my friends in the that. gym, I might even start cursing if they're not lifting hard <laughs> enough. But then again, if I'm speaking to grandma, I'm going to go nice and slow, 
nice and easy just to let her know to finish her pineapple because it's going to make you feel good. And you See, could I'm really going to quote feet. you about the fallen feather. I'm going to say Richard Blank taught me about the <laughs> fallen feather versus the military. I love that. I love exactly. that. As we mentioned, best days and worst days. Even mm -hmm. your best friend could be so sensitive one day, but then another day let you say whatever you want. And so, as I mentioned before, you really have to test the waters before you choose a certain level and speed. Of your, there might be a sense of urgency. We might really need to get in the car and get out of here. We're going to be late. So I might need to raise my voice with you. I mean, you're taking too right. long. And so as I mentioned before, don't, don't look into it too much. Mm. But if you're trying to analyze somebody, try to do it in 30-second to two-minute segments of when they speak, when you speak, so at least you can give yourself a structured sort of game plan that is lie to me used to do. They would have a consistent variable to see if there's inconsistencies. And so that's the sort of maybe more lucid, more astute way that we could be engaging these sort of conversations. Well, that those are some great, great tips. And I also love how you were talking about audience. You were talking about, you know, your grandmother, your best friend, or is this a, a stranger or is this a client? Um, is this an older person, a younger person? You know, audiences is key because we do sometimes need to change our delivery based on what we perceive the audience to uh, expect or what would make them comfortable. You know, we have to be aware of those things. So we can't just have our message in mind. You know, when I teach, I teach AP advanced placement English. And one of the first things they learn is the rhetorical situation. Sure. And in the rhetorical situation, you have the message, the speaker or the writer, the audience, the occasion, you know, and then everything that led up to that, which we call the exigence, which is kind of like what brought us to this moment? Like, what is the purpose or what is the what's the what's the like the impetus for this particular meeting or conversation? Because depending on that exigence, like you said, if it's urgent, we may have to move right now. If it's something where I need to be a little more subtle, you know, a little more delicate, a little more um cognizant of maybe the the feelings it might be a real high emotional situation so what brought us to that moment and then of course the purpose what is what is the purpose of this text or this speech or this essay or this you know chat or email whatever keeping that in mind trying to keep everything very focused and clear to the purpose and so you know we teach them about the rhetorical situation that whatever communication is given you can always look for those elements and you can analyze, in a sense, the text based on those elements and, and keep in mind that different texts will have different rhetorical situations, you know, so. I would have loved to have been in your class. I was <laughs> no more in AP classes at Abington <laughs> High School than the man on the moon. I have a question for you for these beautiful artists that you're working with and that I know take very seriously their writing. It's almost like telling the truth. You can tell the same story today to five years from now, same details. If you make up, not saying lying, but if you're inventing or if you're out of character, it's very difficult to juggle that and be consistent. My main thing is I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like you. Yes, we have certain things in common that we have to do, but you do have your own special sauce. Mm -hmm. And if I believe that somebody builds upon that, and that is their one thing they can really show that separates them from others, like a beautiful color in the, in the packet of crayons. Mm -hmm. You're still crayon, but you are a different color and you can be mixed with other colors to make more colors. And so I don't want someone to be insecure, especially my agents here that are bilingual. 
which bear the mark of higher education. So I really stress, as you were mentioning, not only written, but spoken speech. And to me, I find it fascinating. And the fact that you do AP classes, I think it's incredible. So you let your students know that I say, go, go, go. I wish <laughs> I could have been in your class. Well, thank you. Thank you. So we mentioned some things that could hinder communication, like not listening, um, not being aware of the audience, you know, not varying your message based on, you know, the audience or the purpose or things like that. Are there some other things that you can think of that we didn't mention that could kind of hinder communication? Yes, ma'am. In fact, I just want to finish up on the active listening part. There are a couple okay. of things that I do to ensure, because we grade calls here. I, since I'm an owner of a call center, we have a quality assurance department, almost like an AI teacher as you being a teacher. And so I will grade you, but then I'm also looking for certain soft skills. It's extremely okay. important for me, not only to readjust the tone of a call, if someone may be negative, to just repeating the question back to them to show active listening. Oh yes, where am I from Zen? I'm from Philadelphia, thank you so much for asking. And so there's a certain way to capture a tone do a name drop, repeat the question, and then send it back in a positive so you can almost readjust the tone in your way. It's almost like when Gandhi was standing there and getting hit with a stick, he just, he was showing peace. Mm -hmm. And so there's a way to absorb this sort of energy and switch it. And if it's positive, you match it. And I also believe once again in asking tie down and pin down questions. Mm -hmm. We spoke about checkpoints. And if you're mentioning something, you just said making a suggestion. After you make that suggestion to somebody, then wouldn't you ask them if it made sense or sounds good, right? Richard, you need to put $5 of gas in or we're not going to make it to the beach. Does that make sense? <laughs> I mean, so there are certain ways where you just don't make a statement. You have to tie it up, get the checkpoint, and then move forward because you might leave a door open. And then at the end, you're wondering why you're getting hung up on someone that's not agreeing with you or they're getting frustrated. Ah. It might not seem like normal conversation flow, but it's not. You're mm -hmm. talking about today navigating conflicts and communication. And so these are the sort of things where Bruce Lee says the number one thing is balance. It's not punching mm -hmm. or striking or resisting. If my feet are not there, if my head is not there, and my breathing is not there, you're going to knock me out. Mm -hmm. And so I am allowed to, when you're speaking, if I may make another suggestion, if I'm not talking, I can look in between your eyes if you're sucking my energy. If you're giving me energy, I'll look in your eyes. And I also do the 44. Breathe in for four, hold for four, out for four, in for four. And so it will reduce tension, bring you back. And that sort of angle that you have, your 90-degree angle in mathematics, will then tell you your 45-degree angle will recharge you like going in the ring and going into the corner between rounds. You just can't be 24-7 writing. For a second, you take a breath, you read for a second, you, you, you readjust, and then you hit it again. That, everyone does things like that. So if you can teach the people to not only do some offense, but do some defense breathing, and then through deductive reasoning, figure out what you're doing, mm -hmm. you are going to eliminate about 80% of stuff that you don't even have to talk about because it could be a waste of time. And so the people will say that you're an excellent listener. You repeated everything you said. doesn't mean you agree with it, but you can thank them very much for sharing that with me. And I understand your position. And even if it's your fault, you could say, and I will do everything I can to fix this for you. Even if I can't do it right now, I'll, I'll go back in the kitchen. We'll get another book or a pencil for somebody. It doesn't have to be right now. 
And if you can show these little things of good faith just to start that sort of momentum, it could really reduce where it was going and move in a, another direction. So there were so many things that you just said. You said, <laughs> and I'm going to put a banner going across here. So I'm going to start I get a banner? banners. You oh, said, um, yeah, I've got a couple of banners that are going to be going across there. Is that like a gold star in your class? Do I get like a, <laughs> just don't write in red, please. And just don't bring out the red. Banner. No writing in red. I love the, you know, balancing and shifting and actually taking in the energy and repurposing it. You know, I like that. Of course. Um, I love the breathing. You know, I talk about breathing mm. with people. I do workshops with breathing because we don't, we breath, we breathe shallowly a lot. We hold our breath when we get stressed. You know, we, we hyperventilate sometimes, even though we don't realize we're close to hyperventilating. Mm -hmm. So it's a great idea to do that breathing, as you were saying, to be just conscious and cognizant and slow down and just give ourselves a minute, you know, to process and think. So I, I loved all those different techniques that, you know, I'm going to probably have to, in the show notes, be like putting like different little... <laughs> I got a few this more technique. for you if you There's like. Four techniques, you know, to help you alleviate conflict. Um, I so. love using people's names because once yeah. again, attention is done with 30 seconds to two minutes. That's an average attention span. So Zen, it brings you back, but you can't say Zen five times in a row. So I focus on pronouns. Your, your, are, bring you in, bring you in, bring you in. Makes sense, right, Zen? And that's the tie down checkpoint. Gotcha. And so you can do this face to face and you're talking about matching that's congruence where audio matches the visual and it's very rare. Frank Sinatra had a great quote. You just don't dress to dress <laughs> and you just don't speak to speak. Some people are lazy speakers in regards to their vocabulary, monotone, they're just not paying attention. And mm -hmm. so, as I mentioned before, you cannot just call them out on it, but there's a certain way once again, with these clarifications and edifications, you can get it. But remember you mentioned the show Lie to Me? Yes. His main thing is lying to you. I always believe that the answering speed is the number one tell sign when someone may be facetious or not giving you the full information. Hmm. People are always confused with the tone of voice, but I think you should always be confident and empathetic. That's my consistent variable. Your tone's your tone. I'm not even going to pay attention to it. But there's a mirror imaging technique, Zen where I want to focus on how fast and how loud you speak, your pitch and your rate. And so for every 30 seconds to a minute, if I match you, you're leading the dance. But if you do a spike or a dip combined with that answering speed, that might be an actual tell sign for somebody, someone you know, or even a stranger, that it's time for a clarification or to take a step back. And so once you see it, you can't unsee it. And after about three weeks, my friend, it becomes habit. Does that mean that I'm manipulating conversations? No. But if I'm an architect, I can tell you how a building is made. If I cut hair, I can tell you the style. And if I'm listening to two people communicating, I've done tens and thousands of hours of this. I can tell you when someone is spiking or dipping, when someone needs clarification, or who's dominant or submissive in the conversation and why. It's almost a first time read. And the fact that we're losing three of our senses over the phone, our taste, touch, and smell, that's what COVID did. It took us away from each other. So we're doing, if it's not just Zoom calls, you don't even get to see people. That's and so true. I believe that you should at least expand your hearing because of other senses that were eliminated. And you're a teacher. You know that reading books are better than the movies. You get image streaming and imagination. And my favorite teacher of all time was the late and great Helen Keller. 
Mm -hmm. who is the master communicator in so many different mediums. And so by us having this, and even you, where it's virtual and you're eliminating certain stimuli, that sort of, you know, senses need to be adjusted accordingly. And so with all due respect for Helen Keller, who had the opposite with us, where she could expand her taste, touch, and smell and lost her sight and hearing, we on our end are using more adjectives, more descriptives, and we're really listening to the background. So if there's a dog barking, a child, or something we can listen, we can anchor in, use a me too technique, bring them back to the conversation, ask a follow-up question, and really have a more quality conversation then, because now we're talking about your beautiful dog for a couple mm -hmm. minutes besides your AP class in my call center. Right. And then you wonder why these conversations last so long because we're flowing. We, we found our Zen, we found our middle and our balance. Two strangers, amazing, isn't it? It, it is amazing. And you know, there's so many, again, you, you just throw out a lot of things <laughs> at one time. You know, you were talking about mirroring and I read Tony Robbins book, Awake the Giant Within. Yeah. Uh, Awaken the Giant Within, I think it is. And he talked about mirroring. I never, and then I, I read it again. I read it again in another book. I think it was about winning friends and influencing people, but probably not the one everybody thinks of. It was sure. a second, like a second, a, a more, you know, modern version. But he was talking about in this more modern version, he was talking about um, kinesthetic learners and um visual and auditory learners. And he was talking about how they have different rates of speaking. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, some people have a very slow, um, very measured pace, almost you almost want them to speed up. And then other people talk so fast, you can hardly keep up with their, what they're saying. And those are actually different types of learners. And he was saying that he learned, you know, before he even got to date his wife, he was like, oh, she's, I think it was a kinesthetic learner. I think uh -huh. they talk really fast. I, I may be getting them mixed up, but it was really fascinating to me because I actually thought about it and I said, you know, there have been people that I've met and they were such fast talkers that I thought, okay, this person, mm. you know, I had a negative perception of them because we always say fast talkers are trying to swindle us. They're trying to, you know, but then I was like, it might not have been that at all. It might've just been their learning style. And I felt so bad. <laughs> Because I'm, I'm not a fast talker. I'm not a slow talker either. I'm kind of in the middle. Um, and so it was very enlightening to actually realize, okay, different learners have different patterns of speech. And mirroring that can help that person feel more comfortable with you and feel more like we are aligned, we are alike. Um, and so that was something that I thought was very interesting when you were talking about mirroring and matching the person's pace or their tone or their energy in the speech. I thought that was really um, interesting. I have yeah. a question for you. Did you ever see The Godfather with Marlon Brando? I've seen some of the other ones, but I don't <laughs> think I saw the original one. with Marlon The original Brando. scene when he's speaking, he's speaking in a loud whisper and he's taking his time. Mm. And no one was going to interrupt him. <laughs> and so, uh, yes, no one would interrupt him. If you are going to ever practice trying to have patience on the phone with somebody, that would be a great time for active listening and breathing. Because, as you mentioned, that is his beautiful pace. Ah. He's about a two or a three compared to the Wolf of Wall Street or 
or a boiler room where they're at about a nine or a 10. But as I mentioned before, as long as you can hang on, <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can ride both of those. And so you just almost have to readjust yourself, mm -hmm, as you were mentioning. Right. Okay. So what made you focus on communication as your career, as what you wanted to study, as what you wanted to teach? What made you say, okay, this is what I want to do with my life? What, what was the draw for you? Well, since you're an amazing teacher, you'll appreciate this. It was my alma mater at Abington that really started my studies. I, when I graduated, I didn't have the grades for Ivy League and I couldn't study medicine or law, but my Spanish teacher saw my potential and I got a college recommendation from the late principal Norman Schmidt. That got me into the University of Arizona where I was a Spanish communication major. It's a fun major, <laughs> but I also realized that by speaking a second language and being able to read, write, and do a nice delivery, I might be marketable and I could mm. get a job. And so I really couldn't compare notes to my friends that were studying other vocations and they were all doing almost the same thing. But for me, I needed to test the water. So in college, I interned for Telemundo. In post-grad, I worked for Corona Beer, the importer, so I had fun jobs. But at 27 years old, I had the opportunity to move to Costa Rica and work at my friend's call center for a couple months. But mind you this, my junior year of college, I spent in Spain. I did it for two semesters. And I stayed over Christmas break. So I had my own walkabout and spiritual journey, just backpacking and traveling. And what was amazing was you get 50 conversations, five minutes a day with all these different people. And everything we knew growing up in the United States sometimes didn't matter in Europe. Mm -hmm. And so really they judged you on if you could speak languages, sort of culture you had, books you read. And so it really got me, instead of just running off to the beaches and the bars and partying, I made sure in between that time to go to as many museums and buildings and experiences as possible. And it wasn't like I was being dragged along by my parents on a Sunday where I'd rather be playing baseball. I was doing this on my time. And really those were my humanities classes. This is a time mm. I was a Renaissance man or maybe shed some skin. And so when I came back from Europe, I realized if you're gonna do this, you have to complete this. And once I got my degree and I had this opportunity, I guess you say the barn door was left open. And if you can get past your parents' guilt, Zen, you can live anywhere in the world. So uh, I've been here for the last 22 years. Obviously, it's been a very positive reinforcement. I married a Costa Rican woman and we started a company 14 years ago. And anybody can be an expat as, as long as you realize you're a guest in another country and you accept mm -hmm. the the values and the traditions, you could really enrich your life for so many different experiences. Well, that's, that's, you know, I have a friend who just left the States to move to Mexico and she's like, everything is so, she's like, everything is so natural. And, and she said she came back here and she got sick eating the food here. And, and, uh -huh. you know, she was like, Oh, I want to go back to Mexico. The food is better. The people are friendlier, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, you make me want to come. You know, you make me want to come there. Um, so, you know, I wanted to go back to, you were talking about kind of absorbing some of the energy and trying to shift it to something more positive. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you, how do you train people to stay cool in confrontation? Because I think that one of the biggest problems that I see in conflict is people lose their cool. They stop listening. They stop thinking about the objective. They just get angry and they react. So um, I know that the people you work with are at 
work and they don't want to get fired. So that's an incentive. But, you know, even at work, people get fired because they lose their goal <laughs> in conflicts with communication. But how do you help people to, in the middle of a heightened situation, keep their cool and try to um, reframe it? Besides the method that you just told us, is there any other um, things that you teach people to do? You're going to love my favorite method. It's called gamification. Ah. Remember, you're in school. Do you still have recess at your school? They do have recess at the middle schools and, and, and the, the elementary. I'm in the high school, so we have gym. Well, we anyway, recess, I got recess at my company. So this is what we have downstairs. I collect pinball machines, retro arcade machines. I got an air hockey table. As you see, I got a jukebox behind me. And so in between their shifts on break and lunch, they can go play games for free and make friends and let off steam and recharge batteries and hang out with me. But that's one thing. That's just an enjoyment neutral environment here, recess, and I'm you know, making a joke and having fun. But let's be serious about this. Um, I can give them a little bit of Philadelphia guilt or I can say that, well, no, they know better than that. And you also know, Zen, that they're out of character. I've seen them working with me for years. All of a sudden, they're losing their mind for a day. It could be a client that just, the straw that broke the camel's back, or it could be something outside of the office that is affecting their performance here. My goal is to recharge your batteries here, to give you job stability so you can confront what's happening outside the office. But this is a multi-generational society. And a lot of these young men and women may be paying for medicine, their rent, taking care of their families. And so you mentioned about walking in their shoes. Sure. Besides, you know, making phone calls like they did, they also have responsibilities. And so I give someone a benefit of the doubt. I will never have them do a walk of shame on the floor. We will always take it off the floor because everyone loves fights in the lunchroom, right? That's the best mm -hmm. thing. Not in my call center. We will make sure somebody has privacy. Let them vent in their native tongue so they really get it out. If I have a question, maybe we ask clarifying questions there because of vocabulary or an expression or something. They're not cursing at me. They might just be cursing out loud and then they apologize because they just lost their... And it's okay. I'm judging you on 99.9%. I'm, I'm almost going to ignore this today because I realize we need to reset for a second. And so what we try to do and without prying, it's just to make sure that you're okay. Mm. And if we can take a five minute break, 10 minute break, water on the face, walk around the block. My supervisor likes buying ice cream for people. It's so he can eat some too. I know his game, <laughs> but um, empathy, Zen, my good friend, empathy is the number one thing. And when I was working at my friend's call center back in 2000 to 2004, I did not come in at sea level. I was with the proletariat. I was with thousands of Costa Rican Ticos. So the good and the bad and the happy and the sad, I was there. I heard it. And so what I learned was dignity and allowing people to not feel expendable, mm -hmm. making sure that they have all the resources so I can eliminate any sort of fear. I can't go home with you and fix everything, but there's a very good chance then that you and I could reduce about 80% of any, it's more of a prevention instead of a cure. We can prevent. 80%, the 20% is wild card. I don't know what to tell you, but we can get to that if it happens. 
But there's a lot of things that I can see in a preventative way or a fading flower or somebody that becomes inconsistent in regards to their tardiness, in regards to their phone calls, in regards to their QA scores, that we, we take a time out privately where no one's in trouble because I'm investing in you and, and you know I want you to win. And I've even seen people cry. And it's not because of the work. Obviously, they have a lot of pressure. And so that's the time when we really go to Code Red and we do whatever it takes legally through the Costa Rican labor laws to ensure that this person finds their balance, finds their focus again. And as you say, my friend, finds their zen because obviously they're out of character. This is not who I know. I'm catching you on a day when you're vulnerable and now you're crying in front of the boss. You think you're going to get fired. You haven't made calls in 20 minutes. Let's just, let's stop for a second. Let's seriously calm down and let's put things in perspective. You take care of your grandmother. I met her last week in a suit, of course. I'll let her know how great you are. I'm going to continue to let her know how great you are. Let's, and you want to know the last things then when they fill out their applications here, besides giving me all of their qualifications, I'll ask them to turn the paper over and write me a coming of age moment. Then I have to explain what that means in, in, in our genre, but they'll, they'll write a story about beating up a bully or saving a kitten from a tree. And so let's just say I catch you on that rainy Wednesday or the kind when someone says F you and hangs up on you and they lose their cool. I will remind you that Zen saves kittens. <laughs> I remember when you were the hero. And then all of a sudden your frown turns into a smile and you say, thank you, Happy. I appreciate it. And I go, of course, that's what I'm here for. And that's what proper teaching, leadership, synergy, we give and we take, me today, you tomorrow. And so I guess it's not a weakness, what, because I'm supposed to be firing people and playing big boss. It's not real CEOs, because if nobody comes back to work or no one shows up at your class, we don't have friends. <laughs> so really a lot of it is that the market speaks. And if your AP students are getting A's and contributing outside of the office through their dedicated practice of additional writing and reading and practicing, as my agents do with their English vocabulary, you and I, my friend, have paid it forward. Because yeah. we've had certain teachers in the past that motivated us. So I, I know I gave you a lot of answer there, but it really comes at a lot of different angles, my friend. And I just really wanted to try to approach that in a very delicate way because it can't always be solved in, in a quick fix. No, you gave good answers. Um, you know, don't take the situation so seriously. Know how to go and have fun and laugh, laugh it off. You know, yeah. take a break, get away from the situation, walk around the block, as you said, get, get a glass of water, you know, chew on some ice, you know, um, talk to someone. Uh, then a little bit, you know, you gave, you gave quite a few things that can help people to reset, you know, reset. And, and I loved what you were saying about um, having people write that coming of age moment so that you could remind them. It reminded me of um, a story I heard about the African villages. And it was said that they didn't necessarily punish their kids. Like we punish our kids, like, you know, spanking or putting them in timeout or grounding, that kind of thing. What would happen is the whole village would come together and they would put the person in the center of a circle. And then they would take turns going around the circle saying, <clears throat> excuse me, 
good things, good memories about this person. You know, I remember you to be a person who does this. I remember you to be a person who does that. And by the end, most times the person would be just bawling like a baby because they realized, um, number one, they had disappointed the village by whatever it was. And they didn't want these people who loved them, these people who supported them, these people who were there to encourage them. They didn't want to do that again. They wanted to, in a sense, live up to the expectation, live up to this, this love and support. And so rather than a humiliation, it was very much of an uplift, of a, of a reminding of here is the best in you. Here is what you're capable of. Here's what we appreciate about here. Here's what makes you a vital part of this village. So we need you and we need you to get past this moment so that you can come back to being a vital part of the village. You know, and I thought it was a really beautiful story of just restoration and, and keeping in mind that um, if you have a conflict, the goal should be to get past the conflict and back to, as you said, Zen, back to balance, back to being on purpose about whatever it is you were there to do, you know? And so you're coming back to what you, what you need to do. You're focused. Um, you have to so learn I, from I, it hmm? and you have to be a better person. Even if you get scars from it. Mm. Yeah, it's true. that's true. And sometimes your deepest scars are the ones that build your biggest character. That's you true. learned your biggest lesson. Mm -hmm. So um, you mentioned some teachers that motivated you. You mentioned people that, you know, um, in a sense, you kind of feel like you're paying it forward to. Um, were there any other things that kind of you were like, okay, I see that a call center would be a really great thing to have. And I see that communication is really important. And these are some things that are helping me or going to help me to get this goal accomplished, I guess, you know. The first goal is to see how many families I could feed. Because if you're thinking about money first, you're gonna make very bad decisions. You gotta first think of the, the natural goal. And then secondly, once again, I, I started very small where I was just renting a seat out of uh, a blended center. And then I saved enough money to rent space and build out about a 150 stations with a server room. And then six years later, I was able to build this current location that I'm in that can house 300 seats. So a lot of your students might think it's like this or what you see with these new instant millionaires and these TikTok stars. And sometimes it's the tortoise and the hare. Sometimes it's brick by brick. And your AP students didn't get there overnight. That had to have been done through years. And if you can let people understand about building on momentum, and mastering certain stages, then I think they would be capable of weathering certain storms and not being so hard on themselves if there's any sort of setback or lost momentum. And for me, I'm very grateful every day. And the fact that I can delegate and promote from within is really something that is amazing to me. And this should have never happened. I mean, being an owner of a call center, you, you don't go to school for this. And, there's no books for this. And so, as I mentioned before, a lot of it was my intuition and my 18 year old self telling my 49 year old self, keep going, man, you're doing great. And um, what I do know is that I'm satisfied mm -hmm. and that I can look in the mirror at the end of the day, knowing that I 
was able to overcome the naysayers and the gray believers. I was able to push that extra 20% because most people quit at 80. And as much as my parents, when I was 18, said, Richard, you might need to study a certain vocation. I said, but great grandpa came here from Europe at the turn of the century, learned English and started a company. Maybe I can try something like that as well. Maybe, maybe I have the adventure bugging me and I could be a nomad and try different places. I could have always clicked my heels then and come home and gotten a job, but um, I kept doubling down on myself. And I think that's one of the most satisfying things that if you could be true to yourself and follow through on one of your visions, and if you can accomplish, even if it's one day in business or 14 years in business, if the plant starts growing, it's one of the most beautiful things you could ever experience because you, my friend, created something from nothing. And so once again, the stars become aligned and you realize that God must love you <laughs> because good things are happening and it makes you very humble. Yes. And so to have that sort of balance and center has enabled me to be able to have this company last for so long. I, I do agree with you. Um, it is an amazing thing to have an idea and it's just an idea. There's nothing physical on this planet. It's just an idea. It's You can't touch it. You can't see it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. And then you actually make it happen. And then you can hold it in your hands or you can touch the walls that you have built or the seats that you have purchased. You know, you can touch it. It's real. And other people can touch it. Other people are part of it. You have employees. You know, uh -huh. and it's exciting because you brought something from nothing. You, everything that we see started as a thought. And my then my favorite moment is to slap myself five <laughs> in the mirror. <laughs> yeah. And then it became something you began to talk about, whether it was just talking to yourself or talking to your friends, talking to investors. And then it became something that was not just speech, but actual reality, actually physically there. So that is an amazing thing that you know, to be able to say that you've done that, that is, it's humbling. You're right. It's humbling. It's awe-inspiring. It's motivating. It makes you feel anything is possible. Um, I wanted to, to ask you one more question, and then I kind of wanted you to just talk about, you know, your call center, give you a little bit of time, you know, to say anything that you wanted to say sure, um, yeah. about it. When you have somebody brand new come into your company, they know really nothing about effective communication. Um, they have had no training about anything. Do you see them kind of go through stages and becoming better? And if you do kind of what would those stages be like as you see a person become a more effective communicator? What would you say that that kind of process of growth is like? You really are the best teacher. <laughs> I'm <laughs> loving this class today. I'm really doing an AP class. I really feel like I'm having, am I passing the class at least? Yes, yes, you're doing. All right. Okay. Zen, my friend, new agents, someone that has zero experience are my favorite. Mm -hmm. They have zero bad habits. Yeah. I can mold them. And also somebody that's coming in bilingual bears the mark of higher education. What, what they have done is 10 times harder than anything I'm about to put them on. And as I mentioned, my gamification culture there, you know, if you're not stealing, you shouldn't be afraid of an officer. If you're not cheating in class, don't be afraid of Zen the teacher. 
And if mm -hmm. you're coming to work on time, pen at the ready, why mm -hmm. are you afraid of me? You right. can't judge me on what happened at your last job. Like I'm not judging you on the last station. So let's, let's start off clean right now. And right. I might be the only boss to ever know your name. A lot of them tell me that. Mm. And so I say, that's a shame. And unfortunately I may be the last one until you become a boss mm. and you start doing that sort of thing. And so these are the sort of foundation trainings that I can do. So instead of just absorbing in class and nodding, you know, this, they start contributing, they start wow. contributing. And by having them starting off class in the game room, not in my class, they're playing pinball with me for the first half an hour. So now they own my name, they're relaxing, loosening up a little bit. That's great. And then I'm looking for first downs, not touchdowns. If somebody in the first day of class, if I ask them to repeat what I just mentioned in regards to certain things, they can talk about that. That's a point. If they are showing dedicated practice, as I mentioned, by practicing their speech afterwards, standing up, doing public speaking, my favorite thing ever, and I forgot to mention this earlier, when we're making phone calls and we talk about positive escalations, mm. and I'm sure sometimes your students will mention something about you to the principal, that's a positive escalation. Or a teacher or a parent comes in and goes, my daughter says you're the greatest ever. Positive uh -huh. escalation. Right. So when we're calling companies, mm -hmm. we make sure to mention that the gatekeeper is incredible before being transferred or we do it verbally and we do it in writing. Yeah. And so when my agents, they could be brand new all day long, but if they're on a phone call and they're complimenting Zen before speaking to the principal of the school, mm -hmm. this is an all-star. This is an ace. I could care less that you don't have 20 years. You're with Richard and in your first day, you're showing such soft skills mm. that you're going to be phenomenal. I can teach you my computer systems and headsets. That takes a, that takes a, a couple hours. But if someone is natural and they're kind, and they're sincere, and they're generally interested in who you are and what you do, then I just sit back and I just figure out through Wu Wei, least resistance, mm. areas in which they excel. And then there might be certain areas because of just structure, because they haven't been used to it yet, that I can work on. But the last thing I'm ever going to do is to ruin that natural momentum because they still have essence. They're still raw. The kid still believes like teacher. The number one complaint teachers say is when I first got in, I thought I can change the world. And now all of a sudden I'm jaded. Well, why be jaded now? Why can't you be a tenured teacher that's been there for 40 years that gets carried on shoulders like dead poets aside? <laughs> and obviously you being an AP teacher, you just don't give that to anybody. You must have had an enormous amount of positive escalations to be in such a position with the top students at your school. So, and especially in English writing, you know, awesome. <laughs> well done Zen. And so I'm doing the same thing. My greatest English teacher in college would say, would you like to elaborate on this? Can I give it back to you to keep? It wasn't final turn in time until I was exhausted or I just couldn't crack his code, but it went from 83% to 87 to 91 to 95, never gave A pluses. I'd be like a 96, <laughs> but it took me four or five times. And I, and I kept understanding the, the rhetoric and the bullet points and sub bullet points. He taught me how once again to skim, speed read, the thesaurus, diplomatic vocabulary, run-on sentences, breaking it down, stronger arguments. And I said, so you're telling me I can keep turning this thing back until I get an A. He goes, until you get an A. And so sometimes I wouldn't even get an extra point. He goes, dude, you're, you're, you're off and you're using wrong vocabulary. 
what a teacher, what a teacher. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be during test time. Your goal is that somebody makes an accomplishment. And so I can't put this new agent into the same mold as somebody else. And as I mentioned before, if I can find certain areas where I can grow that fire and expand on branches and roots, that's where I'm focusing. I'll worry about the rest later. Let's just get some stability first and some quick wins. And the greatest thing is when we listen to their recordings, just like their papers, your mathematics and your spelling and grammar can't lie. That's what they did. And mm -hmm. so when we analyze their calls, they will look at me and goes, yeah, Richard, I forgot to ask them this question. And so they know the answer. So their grade starts going up when they tell me what they could have done differently, even if they didn't. The fact that they mentioned it prior to the call or they saw it when I was about to say it, I give them the points. It's collective. It's not so stringent. It, it needs to have wiggle room to it because you're an artist and I'm an artist. And the last thing we ever want to do is to discourage that sort of momentum. And so you see my sincerity in that. I was in their shoes one day. And if I didn't have the right coaches and teachers and mentors, my good friend, there is absolutely no way I would have been here today. Not a chance. And so success is built on a million thank yous. And mm -hmm. at Abington High School, I have a second language scholarship. I've been doing it for the last six years. Angelo Berrios is a very good friend of mine who's the current principal. And I'm so proud of what he does. And so I pay for freshman's books every year, graduating senior. And as someone that did learn a second language, not saying athletics, music, or any other subject is important, but I'm talking about Richard. <laughs> I'm talking about someone that never learned a second language and really took to it. And so as once again, I'm giving back. It's not the financial part. I can afford it. I'm not even talking about that. It's the fact that I wasn't an AP student. I wasn't an honor student. I was heavy in, in, in student government and athletics, okay? But I regret that, and I'm almost embarrassed by that. I wish I could have sat in your class. And today I'm going above and beyond because I'm really trying to show you that I could have done it if I <laughs> were there back in the day. And so it's almost my way to say, Abington, thank you for still believing in me and giving me this college recommendation and telling me, Richard, do not study economics. You, you love languages. I, I see you got this. And they did. And so that's why I love these new, we call them squires or pages because they're holding the, you know, the, the sword for the knight, but they're also learning as well. And we'll put them side by side with the older agents and they can feed off of that energy. And so we just have that sort of environment here with the new agents. Well, that I love the squires pages, and I, and I also love just the personalized attention and the idea that everyone is growing and that they're going from being receptacles where they're just taking in information to contributing, and then they're critiquing themselves so that they're always trying to see how they can improve. And yeah. so, you know, I've always heard this, and I've always said this: you've actually taught someone when you can leave and they can teach themselves, you know, when they replace you, you know, they don't need you to say, Hey, that's a run on. They know what a run on is. You yes, know, they, do. they don't need you to say, Oh, remember about the audience. Remember about the occasion. Remember about the exigence. Remember about the purpose because that's as right. they're writing, they're thinking, I need to remember the rhetorical situation, you know? That's so right. they have embedded it within themselves and then 
they have been taught because it is now part of them. And now they can notice, oh, I forgot to do that. Let me fix that. Let me do that differently next time. You know, so so that's a great thing that you um, are kind of sitting there, in a sense, coaching them through <laughs> learning how to critique themselves and learning how to um, better themselves and, and giving them, you know, that ability, that self-awareness, it goes way beyond a job and it goes way beyond education. A person that can be self-aware and self-reflective, they can you know, they can go and do a lot of great things because that is that is where you're able to push yourself and see where you're not pushing yourself, where you're not at your top because we never are at our top. We always can do more. We can expand. We can learn different things. You know, so being self-reflective and trying to engage those other um, skills and, and, and better ourselves, you know, continually and keep learning, you know, that's a great thing. Um, so I wanted you to tell people where they can find you. And, uh, if they wanted to reach out to you, I've got some of the things scrolling down at the bottom, um, <laughs> about you, but if you wanted to tell them for the people who are just listening and won't necessarily see this on YouTube or on TikTok or, LinkedIn or wherever I'm going to post it later. Um, I don't see any good airline flights. That was my first recommendation is to come down and come visit me, Zach. That's well, that, I will keep that in mind. I, I don't know when I'm going to get out of the country and, and travel outside the country, but I definitely have that on my list of things. That's on my bucket list, definitely, to travel all over the world. You I know. can't thank you enough for sharing my information. And um I have a very strong Facebook fan page, about 98,000 local Costa Rican Ticos, and they can't wait to meet you. But your audience can also read about the business process outsourcing industry in Central America. Now, Costa Rica is north of Panama, south of Nicaragua. We're the only democratic society in Central America. There's no standing army. So we put all of our money back into education. There's a 95% literacy rate. We also claim we have the most neutral accent and the best infrastructure. We're huge in regards to ecotourism with our volcanoes and waterfalls, beaches, iguanas, butterflies, and, you know, and uh, monkeys coming in. And, um, but it's a really wonderful place to be. Companies such as Amazon, HP, Intel, and Oracle are here. So the skill set of the bilingual Costa Rican agent, it's very competent. And so, as I mentioned before, the agents here, they find the stimulation in that second language. And they're also recuperating, like I have, Zen, that investment in education by earning money off of that second language. And what I find is fascinating, and it's easy for me for their concentration, since they are translating their calls, once again, they are intensely, it's almost double the amount of work in short periods of time. So it's really almost impossible for them not to be paying attention <laughs> unless they're really daydreaming. But um, yes, I mean, once again, someone can give me a call, 888 271 send me an email, com, And I can't thank you enough, Zen. I, I enjoyed our class today. <laughs> I hope I was prepared for my oral exam. Yes, and, you, um, you were. You were great. I am going to share a little bit of um, some of the things that I have that people can 
tap into. So I am Zen Ashe, and this is the podcast Zenergy, Z-E-N-N-U-R-G-Y, which is on about 25 streaming platforms. Um, I do have inspirational material that I sell. And I was talking about self-awareness before. I actually have um, a guided journal. So for those of you that are looking, you know, you can actually get this one online, which is called Zenergize Your Life, volume one. And I also have volume two, this is like a pack. And I also have my poetry memoir. This is poetry and prose. It's actually quite thick, but it's an easy read. It's a fun read. This last seven years of my life. So I'm going to show you guys just a short, quick little um, video and about that. So we'll look at this. Does your poetry... Happy Throwback Thursday. Throwback Thursday is a great time to reflect. And in my poetry prose memoir, Plenty of Guppies, I reflected on the last seven years of my life. It starts out the day I got divorced and it goes through many changes that helped me become a more empowered, more transformed, more healed person. It also covers some of the great men that I had in my life. We have Father's Day coming up. You know, my father was a huge influence in my life. You know, I had um, another mentor who was a huge influence in my life, who was kind of like a surrogate father to me after my dad passed. And also Juneteenth is coming up and that's about freedom. You know, getting the news that you're free when you didn't know you were free and being able to walk away from what bound you. And that's really what happened in my book. I walked away from what bound me. So may you walk in. Sorry, you were uh, about to ask me a question. <laughs> oh, I think it almost answered it. I was just asking if there's a lot of pictures in your book. I know your students ask if there's pictures in the reading assignment. There are pictures. Um, there are pictures of me. There are pictures of all kinds of things in the book. So yes, there are, there are probably maybe about, I'd say about 20 pictures in the book. Very cool. So it's not a lot, 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 but there okay. are several pictures in the book. There's actually 92 poems in the book, 26 chapters, and every chapter ends with a lesson that I learned from that period of time. So it's a wonderful story. And thank you for sharing that, Zen. Well, thank you. And thank you for coming on to Zenergy. And um, I hope that everybody looks you up. I'm going to have to make sure that I am one of your Facebook friends so you can share this onto your Facebook page and Please. You know, people can see what other episodes are out there because there are for people who are listening. There are about 86 other episodes, including some chapters of Plenty of Guppies, because I just finished um, recording the audio book. It's not out yet because I'm still editing it, but I just finished recording the audio book. So the first five chapters are actually on the podcast you can actually mm-hmm. listen to. Cool. So but thank you guys for joining us for this great discussion about navigating conflicts and communication. And I want to thank Richard Blank for being with us. And follow me, please uh, tune into other episodes, um, subscribe to the YouTube and may you walk in Zenergy. Have a great day. Zenashe, a newly divorced 43-year-old Southern woman, wanted a fresh start. She'd heard there were plenty of fish to choose from in the modern dating pond. What she discovered were plenty of guppies, exactly 101 of them. The result? A provocative, transparent, raw, and delightfully uncensored account of her experiences with the 101 men she encountered on her journey to find the one. In Plenty of Guppies, Zen spills all the tea on dating psychology, relationships, and self-discovery while giving readers a rare glimpse into the life of an award-winning artist and best-selling author. 
The book is an enlightening narrative that explores gender roles and identity outside of societal expectations. Zen has written a refreshingly mature modern day epic of online dating, layering her personal story with erotic poetic verses and passionate prose that frame her journey toward rebuilding a life as a single woman and adjusting to both an empty nest and boomeranging children. 